Hey everybody, this is Dominic D'Angelo, WrestleZone.com. Today's date is July 6, 2021. And I'm happy to have with me here today, none other than Arya Dvari. Dvari, thank you, dude, so much for joining me today. Uh, we're about over a little week of removed from you being released. Uh, how's it all going for you? It's been going good. Uh, you know, the funny thing is I got released while I was on vacation. I was in uh, Las Vegas with my girlfriend when I got the call. So I said, it kind of uh, cooked to the blow a little bit because we're eating breakfast. I got the call and our next plan is like go out to the pool. And I was like, well, let's go get some drinks and let's go to the pool. So, uh, but no, it's been cool, man. Everyone's been super supportive. So many friends and people reached out who I didn't even think were going to reach out and stuff like that. So it's cool, man. I'm excited for the next chapter and kind of see what's next. Yeah. Did you kind of find, I know it's like, obviously it's probably like disheartening a little bit, but did you kind of find it almost a, not a relief in a way, but something to look forward to be like, all right, Hey, you know, it's, I get my choice to do what I want. Yeah. So, so funny enough, uh, my girlfriend, she said, uh, she goes, I never thought if this day ever came that when you told me what happened, you were going to sound so like cool and chill about it and whatever. And I said, yeah, I said, there is this internal pressure. I think all, wrestlers put on themselves in every in any company not just wwe uh, you put a lot of internal pressure on yourself whether it's dieting super hard never missing workouts making sure you have the best matches possible you know in wrestling we have a saying that you're only as good as your last match so if your last match you didn't feel like you did a good job like your next one really really matters to, to you deep down so there's this internal pressure that you put on yourself that just kind of for the time being gets to go away. Cause don't get me wrong. Once my 90 days is up and I'm back to work, like all that pressure comes back, you know, but for the next 90 days, I kind of get a chill. So it was a little bit of, uh, like you said, a little bit of a relief. Yeah. Yeah. It, and like, yeah, you get that kind of down, moment of downtime <laughs> where yeah, like, yeah. especially like in a, in a platform like WWE, we were talking about it. Like when you're on the road and stuff like that, it was just nonstop, everything like that. So getting this opportunity to kind of be like, decompress a little bit uh yeah it's just, just think about just thinking about like other things in life for once you know because all dear since i was i've been wrestling since i was 17 and i'm 32 now so my entire adult life every decision i made everything i did on a daily basis was kind of revolved around pro wrestling and not the best changing it's still gonna but like once this chapter in wwe ended it was kind of just like a Ooh, all right, let's take yeah. a step back and let's just kind of reassess everything before uh, we get right back to work. Now, what do you kind of have planned? It doesn't have to be wrestling related right now, but yeah. like what, like as, as for your downtime to take advantage of it, what do you, do you have anything in particular planned that you got on your bucket list that you've wanted to do that you haven't been able to do since you've been working so, so much and everything? Or? Um, just going on more vacations. So like I, uh, I mentioned my girlfriend already, she's a FIAD teacher, an elementary FIAD teacher. So oh. She actually has summers off. And now I have the summer off. So a really nice thing is that we get to go on some vacations together, completely uninterrupted. Like, like I said, when we were in Las Vegas, I still uh, like booked it around work. It was like, remember we did the TV taping and then I flew home early morning. And then that same day flew straight to Las Vegas because I wanted to be there for as many days as possible. And I was going to fly back and just go straight to TV. So you kind of have to plan everything around that. Now we both got our summer wide open. So we're saying, hey, let's go on some road trips. Let's go on some vacations. We can go, you know, we can go as long as we want. We can go on a trip for 14 days if we want to. You know, there's no wrestling to come back to for the time being. And she doesn't have to work right now either. So it's 
kind of worked out nicely. So I think just going on vacations and visiting family members and just kind of chilling out. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's the way to handle it. That's the way to handle it. Um, yeah. As far as uh, who, who contacted you? Was it Laronitis? Was he the one that got a hold of you and, and gave you the details? No, or? it was uh, Canyon Seaman. He was okay. the one who reached out. Yeah. I, okay. Uh, I, so here's another funny side story of that on top of being in vacation on vacation when this happened. Uh, we got there like Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night. Uh, did a, went out to dinner, did some stuff. And then the next morning uh, we're at the gym. I'm going to go work out real quick before we start our day. And I, I put a dumbbell on the ground and it slowly rolled over and went over my cell phone and shattered my screen on right. my cell phone. So my phone wasn't working. So the whole time, like for the next two days, I was trying to get a new phone from the Verizon store. And it, it just wasn't coming in or they didn't have my one in stock for insurance or whatever. So the whole time I was like, for two days, I was without a phone. And I was just kind of like, I hope nothing, you know, no work stuff contacts me or anything like that. And then on the third day, it started working a little bit and I could kind of use my screen a little bit. And I see I have a missed call from a 203 number. Then uh, unfortunately, I, I, I could finally see my text and Tony actually told me, he's like, hey man, I just got released. So I was like, oh shit, I think I know what this phone call is. So I got my, I got the phone number off my phone and used my girlfriend's phone to call him back and call Canyon back. And yeah, he had to give me the bad news, but I mean, it was a short phone call. Like I called him and I was like, I, I think I know what you're calling about. So uh, he's like, yeah, unfortunately, you know, that's again, budget cut thing is what I'll call just like everybody else. So real short phone call, went back, had my breakfast and then we just continued out on the vacation. And just moved on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, was it, was there kind of some, I know there's been like a couple wave of releases beforehand, obviously yeah. stuff we've done it. So was there kind of almost like an expectation amongst the roster in a lot of ways that, Hey, this, we could be next or anything like that going on. I think so. I, I, I believe when, uh, like when Ron got let go and, uh, Obviously, now that Samojo is back, but when he got let go at the time too, and like among the other people as well too, like the Iconics and stuff like that, who were, I think they won like WrestleMania this year and stuff yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. I think of when a few of those kind of bigger names got let go, that's when everybody was just kind of like, oh, it really could be anybody at this point. You know? So it was a little bit, not preparing for it because it was still a little bit shocking just because some of the people who got let go like weren't on tv as much like me and tony needs were on like literally every episode of 205 live like the entire yeah band, band entire pandemic even beforehand so we were working every single week and we were working with a lot of the new guys that are bringing us and we said hey maybe at the spot they see for us to constantly work with the new talent or stuff like that but uh so again on one hand like i said when bigger names got let go you go like oh it could be anybody on the other hand, we were working every week, so I didn't think I'd fall into that category, but I don't know. I was always told by more veteran wrestlers, like the average WWE careers, like five to seven years, you know, unless you're a big star or something, you know, and so there's outliers, of course, but I kind of had that in my head when I first started. I said, you know, let's get to that five to seven years, and then we'll reassess from there, and this was coming in on year number five, so we're getting pretty close to that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, talk about working just with Tony Nese on that consistent basis for the, uh, the course of that time too. It's like it, you guys, you tweeted it out, like how much of a great, you know, chemistry and relationship you guys had talk about how it was just working and like that being essentially your guys's brand. Um, did it, did you kind of have, 
what was the development in making, uh, what were your expectations moving forward with 205 Live as it went on too, if that makes sense too? Um, honestly, like tagging with Tony, it was a lot of fun because we're actually, in real life, we're really good friends. And we actually became friends like when 205 and the whole Cruiserweight division started, if people remember like me, Drew and Tony were like this like trio they put together. I think they were still kind of fleshing out all the good guys and bad guys. And said, all right, you three are the bad guys. And anytime we need to do tags or six man, they'll be against the three of you guys. And that's how we, uh, they were already friends from the Indies, but I didn't really know them. And that's how all three of us all became really tight and real friends in real life. And then me and Tony just kind of tagged off and on for almost five years. Um, but then around this last stretch, like during the pandemic, it started getting more regular and we always brought it up. We just said, Hey, you know, we really enjoy tagging together. And I think we could be a good fit for a tag team. Um, so we were at, I thought we were having really good tag matches, you know, all the NXT coaches and producers telling us how much they liked us as a tag team. We were hoping it was going to continue on into like an NXT run or a raw run or a SmackDown run as a tag team. Cause I mean, I get it, it's WWE. They may not think a lot of like the cruiserweight division or smaller guys, but I thought as a tag team, I said, well, I think we're a very formidable team sure. together. So we can wrestle, you know, whether it's Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode or the Street Profits or whoever, any tag team, not just NXT, not just 205, but any tag team in WWE. I think uh, me and Tony could have fit really uh, good in that situation. So. Like I said, we just had expectations of moving on together as a tag team and doing more things. Yeah, yeah. Um, well now, working under the 205 Live banner, was there was there a certain, I don't want to say like lack of communication, but was there like a separation of communication in, in terms of like what the NXT brand was doing or and what like maybe Raw was doing? Like, was there, uh, did people like, you had certain people I'd imagine in management like doing their own thing, but like, was there, a certain synergy or was there kind of a lack of synergy there between the brands? The, the, all, the problem with 205 is that there was never a lack of communication. Like if I needed to talk to Triple H, I would go talk to Triple H or if I needed to talk to Vince, I would talk to Vince and or whoever was in charge, Adam Pierce, all these guys. There's never a lack of communication. I could always get a hold of somebody. It's just that WWE is such a big company that their main focus is Raw and SmackDown. And then when we were filming 205 of NXT, the main focus is NXT. So it's not necessarily that we can't even communicate these things. It's just that like, hey, we got a whole bunch of other things we got to deal with first that takes priority to that. Like I said, Raw and SmackDown matter more than 205. NXT matters more than 205. So there's sometimes changing stuff and filming stuff for all those three brands all the way up until the show starts, you know? So yeah. some days they're just... I'm sorry, we don't have time to look at any 205 stuff just because we're dealing with our three shows. And it's definitely sucks, you know, you wish you could kind of get some things through, but I would say a lot of the True to the Right Division 205 guys, we eventually got a lot of ideas through. The majority of the ideas, character changes, things you saw on 205 were usually from the guys themselves, mm -hmm. of just pushing it and pushing it. And there's tons of ideas that didn't get through, but a lot of them do get through. It just takes time, you know, it's like, hey, we don't for this thing specifically right now so it's just going to take a little bit before we get to 205 now the kind of the issue is that they're never done with raw smackdown or nxt those are always ongoing things you know yeah so yeah just, sometimes you just never get around to the 205 issue and then you just kind of like eh, i get to just move on from there then yeah now uh yes so like you guys you had guys like triple h and obviously vince and stuff like that um how much 
obviously they have those two big brands that they're worrying about, but where's their eyes on 205 Live from like guys like Triple H or Vincent Man too from time to time? Or how, how yeah. did you transition why? Yeah. Yeah, at first, I mean, look, all the guys who moved on to like Raw and SmackDown from 205, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't be there if Vince didn't see that. You know, sure. like he was very uh, hands-on at first when 205 first started and then Triple H eventually took it over. Like, like I said, like sometimes I would always joke with the boys that like, We'd be standing in Gorilla watching like the matches going on, and we're kind of watching Triple H or watching Vince. And I go, like, Man, how much wrestling have they watched in their entire lives? Like, you think about all the guys and girls who come through WWE, like Vince McMahon sitting there watching right now. Is this match number like 600,053 that he's watching? So sometimes you forget that you're like, They've seen so much wrestling that when you go up to them and you're like, hey, what'd you think of this one match I had? They're kind of like, oh, oh, yeah, it was great. You know, it was great. The other million matches I've seen, you know, in the past 20 years and the next million matches I'm going to see over the next two weeks, you know. So the when it comes to really high up guys, I feel like like Vince and Triple H, like you got to take very important stuff to them. If it's something that's not super, super important, I would say you get a good relationship with a producer or a writer and they can take it up and chain of connection. If it's something crazy important that needs their approval only that maybe you will take it to them or something you really care about you can take it to them but like i said they'll, they'll be complimentary of your work and stuff like that but they just they have so many things going on that i would say like you can't you can't take that personal i feel like when right, they have right so many things going on in their lives that you just gotta I, I feel like it's on the talent to like keep trying keep trying you know there was times where i waited outside vince's office like multiple TVs in a row. I just, it was something really important that I want to talk to them about. And I just had to keep trying because you just have to like know your place on the totem pole. Like I'm a, I'm a, I was a newer talent at the time and he has these top stars he has to deal with first before he can even start worrying about other things, you know? So like I said, it's just, it's just such a large company that sometimes it's hard to see everything and everybody all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And you make a great point. Cause I, I even remember like reading like Bret Hart's biography and being like, okay, Vince is watching this match. And he's like, geez, he's been watching like guys like Jim Brunzel or whoever. <laughs> now he's yeah. Like, it's like, that's such a wide range of people that he's right, like, right, right. in the ring before. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, you got to think how many matches did he have to, has he seen and all that stuff. So. Has he seen? Yeah. And I feel like he's seen it more than everybody else. So sometimes I feel like a guy will get super like pumped about like this like one spot he did or this one move he did and I'm like yeah I'm sure like Vince has seen a bajillion things or, or for I don't know three four years one of his talent used to do a literally an elbow drop and the whole place would go crazy you know yeah, so, yeah. Like, yeah. the times have changed yeah yeah um, what um as far as like, yeah, something else you mentioned too on Twitter was um, you had a lot of stories to share about like the Enzo Amore days when it started off in 205 Live and that, that whole crew that was there. So like Aaron Neville now, uh, Pac and all that stuff. Um, it, what's, uh, how did you look back? Because that was such a, an interesting time for you guys because it was still like such a fresh product, but it was also like Enzo was ha- had this thing where he was like, not really wrestling too much as the cruiserweight yeah. champion and like taking gigs at people and all that stuff. Talk, talk about all that dynamic going on there. And cause it did seem like a very fresh thing. And also just like with such these talented guys around that weren't like, we're trying to vie for this title that this guy had that wasn't really defending it. Yeah. Um, I was like, you gotta remember, like it's still WWE. Uh-huh. And they're not gonna, it's still Vince McMahon show. He still wants like tons of entertainment with everything he does. So I, I feel like, 
that was his way of being like the cruiserweight division. Like he was always very complimentary of all of our work. He, he knew we were all great wrestlers and he loved that. And like Tony Graves told us once that that was from Vince himself, like, damn, those guys are all hell of good workers, you know, and this is all when we're still fairly new to the roster. Yeah. Um, and, but at the end of the day, it's still like Monday Night Raw. So he still wants like promos and stuff like that and funny character things. And I think he really dug Enzo. You know, I think he knew he was really good on the microphone. And I don't remember what Enzo was doing on Raw before he joined the Cruiserweight division. But whatever it was, it must have ran its course. And he still wanted to find a spot for him. And, you know, the Cruiserweight division was something that I think Vince was like, oh, we need more entertainment and characters and stuff on that and and we had the division we always knew that too um like when we all debuted together like we were like a new cast of characters other than like brian brian kendrick but we knew like man getting guys who are currently on raw right now to you know if we can interact with each other on that would help a lot more and that's where enzo kind of brought that boost of audience in because all the people who are watching him on raw and really liked him on raw well now they get to see him on 205 and if anything he started getting a lot more, even more time than he did already. So he got to really do his promo stuff with us and that kind of, that whole no train thing, like that kind of helped the stock of Gulak, myself, Nice, and Noam Dar, you know? Yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought overall it was like an interesting take to do, especially like, because yeah, you, you mentioned even Vince said how talented you guys are in the ring and then like to bring that juxtaposition of like a, a like somebody that's more apt up to the mic than being in the ring work kind of thing yeah. good. i thought it was a pretty good balance of things and it was an interesting take to keep going forward with that but i, I think part of i not talking about the elephant in the room is what you posted on twitter that like really got this sparked here was the the davari denaro character um yeah. and i just thought such a neat like way to showcase yourself um yeah. how much of that I, I take it that was a lot all of your inspiration because you mentioned yeah. talking about like tying in with Pablo Escobar or Terry Funk um, yeah. and then the cool music you have playing in the background riding the caddy all that stuff talk about the process of coming up with all that and uh, like just getting it conveyed out to like a bigger audience like that yeah so uh, so when I was an independent wrestler um, and similar to what my brother did in WWE like we're Iranian so we did like the Iron Sheep type thing where you wear the headdress and you know that kind of stuff and it worked to an extent it worked to an extent you know but obviously you have to evolve past those things and i would say the last like five years of my independent career from like 2010 to 2015 i wasn't even wearing the like iron chic headdress anymore and stuff like that i was just kind of more being myself and then when i got the wwe and they did the global cruiserweight classic and they kind of were saying where everybody's from and saying I was representing Iran and stuff like that. And just kind of thinking like, well, I'm in the WWE. This is Vince McMahon's WWE. He likes characters. So like, let's bring the chic thing back a little bit. And I did it for, again, for a little bit, but I was just kind of like, now that I was in a bigger platform, I was like, I think this thing is definitely kind of running towards a little bit. And uh, there's a TV show that's called Shaws of Sunset, where it's these really like rich virgin family. And I said, the funny thing is, I said, I have family out in Los Angeles. I know a lot of people, uh, Persian people in Los Angeles who have these like kind of bougie lives and stuff like that. So I said, that would actually be a funny character, this Kardashian like to get that on TV and kind of do that. Uh, so that was when I said earlier about waiting to a few TVs to talk to Vincent Mann, it was to give him this character pitch. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I went in there and I pitched him the character. And like I said, I just, just being like this more rich, flashy, flamboyant type character. 
And I just said, like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be like a uh, old, old uh, gimmick of the past, you know, because I, I don't think that's going to work today. Today, yeah. Uh, so yeah, let me try. You know, I explained there's this TV show, Shaws of Sunset, that's on TV now. You know, it's a little bit more relevant. So again, like, still trying to have fun with it. I, like I said, the WWE, it's a place that needs big, loud characters. So that was kind of where I pitched that. And then, uh, so at first it, it did kind of just be like a, like a rich guy thing. So again, trying to get away from my Iron Sheik thing, but then kind of stumble into a Ted DiBiase thing. Yeah, so, yeah. I was <laughs> like, I was, so I was like, I was like, man, how can I, uh, how can I change this up a little bit? And I actually filmed that vignette. Uh, I was out on injury. I hurt my neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like April of 2018 and I was out for like four or five months. And that's when I filmed that vignette. I started thinking, I was like, I think the change I want to have to this, like, Davari De Niro character, maybe how he got all his money is like dirty money, crime money. Yeah, know? right. Like, like, a drug, like a drug lord without say, without actually having to say that. That's why I said like a Pablo Escobar type vibe and stuff like that. So maybe all his money he gets is from being kind of like this, like street thug or something like that. Just because I thought it would just, just be something different, you know, because when I first started doing the character, like Vince got me a Corvette to come in for a backstage and stuff like that. But the funny thing is, if you watch wrestling now, like everyone, all rest talent are smart to that. Like everyone wears nice suits. Anytime they show someone pulling up to the building, it's in a nice car. Like in a way, like everyone does the Ric Flair thing now. Like, and that's, I guess it kind of makes sense because like we're supposed to be these big life superstars. And if you watch UFC, like everyone in UFC, they're all wearing suits. They're all doing that. So I was kind of like, well, I was like, I can't just be do that anymore because even that's not special anymore. So that's why I said maybe make it like a Pablo Escobar drug money, crime money type of thing. And uh, obviously, when you start going down that route, that's when you start getting into a few roadblocks of like, ah, I don't think we can do that. That's not easy, you <laughs> yeah. know? like stuff like that. Uh, You're like throwing uh, so, mysterious bags out. <laughs> so, yeah, like one thing specifically at the end of that vignette we do like the Pulp Fiction thing where I open the yeah. trunk and I grab a, like a tire iron. I'm going to go smash someone's skull in. And I asked once, I said, can I just bring that with me to the ring? You know, it could always be an easy, you know, Tanya Harding, someone's leg right in the knee or something, you know, or some shit like that. I said, can I just, you know, just be like a thing, like just Davari carries around a tire iron just to have like a, let me you know, Jack had the umbrella and, you know, just have a, character thing yeah something to recognize you by too it's just like a little and I, I was talking to the writer about that and right away he's like ah, you know what he's like we don't like doing like you know random household things that like a kid can find in his house and like hit his brother in the head with it and i was like my only hang up with that and i was like i feel like if parents are letting their kids watch wrestling there's already a certain amount of violence they're, already, they're like okay with right because like okay i can't hit the guy in the head with a tire iron but he can be like on the bottom rope and I could just be stomping his head in with my foot <laughs> yeah, like, right, like over times. and over and over. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But it's just one of those things that as soon as they started saying no to a lot of the concepts, you know, and again, like I did want the character. I was trying to push the envelope a little bit. I did sure, want yeah. her to be a little bit more violent. And like, you know, like I said, like that's where the, like the Terry Funk violence comes in a little bit. It's a little bit more wild and barbaric because that's where the different styles help in 205, you know, Gulak's like a submission guy. And, you know, you have the Luchas and you have Tony Nese who can do like really good high flying. Well, then you have me and Oni, you can be two guys who just kind of like beat the shit out of people or beat up each other, you know, using weapons to get crazy. I thought everyone being a little bit different 
would help the show. And that's why I switched to like the jeans and the wife beater because, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say wife beater. That's probably the wrong. You know, the beat top, whatever it is. The, 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 the that's how top. I call it too. I'm so used to calling it that yeah. too. It's an adjustment. Uh, <laughs> the jeans and the tank top because I was thinking, I was like, man, everybody on 205 has really nice gear. I said, maybe I'll be the guy in the street clothes. So you're all just trying to think of yeah. different things to stand out and do things differently. And again, because I said I was going for a little bit more of a street vibe with this character. That's why I said, well, maybe I wouldn't be in like standard wrestling trunks. I'd be in like jeans and a wife beater. Yeah, so it looks like uh, I'm on in the ring. It looks like a street fight of some sort, you know? Right, right, right. Now you kind of hinted at it a little bit. Do you plan to kind of maybe utilize that De Niro persona a little bit going forward? Uh, or have you kind of thought of more different things that you kind of want to utilize uh, since then? You know, I'm going back and forth on it. I haven't fully decided yet because I have this personal thing in me that I go, I don't want to show up somewhere, somewhere new, or even on an independent show or somewhere else. And they're going like, I was just doing his WWE thing. You right. know, like I do think in these pivotal moments in your life, like it's a good opportunity to evolve. You know, I always took what Chris Jericho said to heart about constantly evolving, you know, right. If you look it's at my w, if you look at my WWE career, like yeah, I started doing the chic thing. I was wearing trunks, then it was the Davari De Niro and trunks, then into the street clothes. Now I'm in the long tights. And I said, Yeah, maybe this is another time to evolve into something else. Who knows? But uh but also that comes down to if you're working somewhere else and another mode or another boss like requests that and says, Hey, we really like what you did, this Divari didn't know thing, like we should run with it more. But sure, why not? But so like I said, I haven't fully decided if I want to continue with it or take this opportunity to evolve myself one more time and just move on to something else and just say, Hey, that was a chapter in my WWE time. That chapter done let's go on to the next let's go on to the next no I, absolutely and there's certain thing about and it's good like to think like that too because like you yeah. mentioned it like chris jericho's like that and heck terry funk reinvented himself like you know yeah. look at it from those days and so it's just like having that kind of mindset and moving forward and knowing like hey this is a new uh wave of life coming on and so it's yeah 100 yeah 100 it's like that so um as far as do you kind of find the release to kind of get like uh killing dana also you know he, he we mentioned he's released a statement uh anthony green i think said i think said the same thing too that they have kind of like a chip on their shoulder in a lot of ways after this do you kind of find yourself having a chip on your shoulder a little bit too like hey I, i'm gonna prove them what they kind of missed out on in certain ways yeah of course i think anybody who gets when they get let go you feel that a little bit especially if it's a surprising one you know if you sure. did something you did something bad and like fucked up and you're like, oh, I'm going to get fired for this. Then you can understand that. But when you're going to work every week and doing good work and everyone's telling you you're doing good work, um, then you get let go. Of course you get a little bit like, okay, well, the next place I'm going to go to, I'm going to, you know, continue busting my ass and prove them wrong. You know, and I think that's kind of every wrestler guy or girl. It's kind of their inner monologue. If they get let go, I mean, it's their inner monologue, even when we're there, even when, uh, yeah, sure. even no, when I, you're there, you still want to say, I'm going to go in there and have the best match. And when I'm done, the opera is going to go like, oh, damn, he's good. We should do stuff with him. You know, like you, you always have that no matter where you are. So it, the chip has probably gotten a little bit bigger now. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I've always been, I've had no problem with like motivation. I've always been someone who's like, you, you got to keep going as soon as you, as soon as you relax or take your foot off the gas or get complacent, like that's when you start, that's when you start to fail. So I said, okay, done with WWE, on to somewhere else and it's back to work 
it's back to work. That's how, that's a good mindset too. It's just like, you got to keep, keep at it. (laughs) And it's adjustment. Like we were talking to, like you have this downtime and now you're just like, okay, I kind of feel like I got to get moving. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be the hardest. That's going to be the hardest thing about this 90 days is just not wrestling, but luckily I have access to a ring. So I'm just going to go work out every week and just stay in great ring shape and get ready to come back. That's great, man. Now, how much communication have you had with your, your brother since the release and everything? Do you guys keep on regular communication for the most part? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We yeah. talk every single day. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That, you guys are pretty close. How close are you guys in age? Uh, five years. Oh, okay. So you're, that's really yeah. close. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got a lot. Obviously, we got like when, he, when I was 10 and he was 15, we weren't super close. But sure. as, as we've gotten older, yeah, we've gotten a lot, a lot closer. Yeah, no, and, and it's that's got to be a, a neat aspect to kind of get receive community. You guys both give communication back and forth of what you know you each are doing, and just having that kind of feedback. I know me and my brother, we just we really you know relate with a lot with that. So it's, it's yeah good to have that in your corner too, in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, yeah, he was a uh, he was. I mean, he's probably my biggest wrestling mentor, you know, I've, I've ever had because. I started on the Indies back in 07. He was in WWE at that time. So like, yeah. when you're an independent wrestler and your brother's in the WWE, you know, of course you're going to listen to everything he says or all his advice and stuff like that. So that's been kind of cool. And then the nice thing was when the roles kind of reversed, like when I got to WWE, there was a few years where he kept, I kept bringing him backstage as my guest, you know, like, so he could see all his old friends and this and that. And I think showing his face over and over and when it became a thing where they were looking for new agents and producers and, you know, like we were all kind of hustling, you know, it was always to bring him back there to either talk about, Hey, you know, Hey, he's all, you know, we're really close in age. He can wrestle. He wants to be a producer, whatever you want, whatever you need him to do. But anytime we were, he was in Las Vegas, anytime we were in Las Vegas, he was always backstage as my guest. Like I said, just to, see friends and just so we could hang out together. You know, it's one of those things where we always wished we were in WWE working together. So at that time, like this is as close as it's going to get where we can both be backstage at a WWE show, like hanging out together. Right. Um, right. And then eventually when he did get hired as a producer and 205 was still traveling on the road with SmackDown, that was great because we were going to work every week, seeing each other and hanging out for hours at a time. Sometimes he had my matches or usually my producer for my matches sometimes. Not that often. So sometimes I think they purposely <laughs> they purposely it. separate. Yeah. <laughs> it was only like one or two times where I had him as a producer. But no, that was a really cool like year and a half where we were just traveling we worked together like all the time. You know, year. And it's kind of like because like even though he wasn't talent, only I was wrestling and he was producing, but it was kind of like, hey, look at us, like both here in the WWE together. Like this is our this is our job now. I know uh they got a really cool picture of us during rehearsals once, but we we're just kind of we were sitting on the apron, uh, just in the ring, and we just happened to be talking. And the photographer came over and took a picture of us. So I still have that picture. Oh, that's my great. mom. But yeah, it was like a cool moment of being like, damn, like, we, like two wrestling fans from Minnesota who just had this dream of being in WWE. And we got there at separate times, but there was a moment in time where we were both there together. It was really cool. That's I'm glad he's, I'm, I'm really glad he's back there, you know. I feel people were joking like, "Dad, they they fired you and rehired your brother." But I said, "I don't care." I said, "As long as he has a job, I'm happy." Well, you want me to be yeah. upset about the fact that he has a job? But I'm so happy he has a job. Yeah, yeah, right, man. And no, he's, yeah. he does his. I've seen him on MLW all the time and things like that. Yeah, just he's he's doing his own thing and he's doing a great job at it. Like it's it's like, and you he's can see he works. Very smart. Yeah. yeah, he's very very under like. I know a lot of people think like producers and agents want to be these people who have these like crazy um, 
star-studded careers, but like my brother was in the WWE. He was signed when he was 20. He was in there when he was 21. Like in the locker room with guys like Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Undertaker, you know, uh, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle, all these guys when they were like in their prime prime, like wrestling, you know, so like if he was in the locker room, like with them, so he learned a lot of valuable information. You got to work with all these guys. So when I say like he was my wrestling mentor, like part of it was he's my big brother, but you still would say like, hey, this is what Chris Jericho told me. Hey, this is what The Undertaker told me. So when he was telling me that information, I was like, obviously it's coming from a, an amazing source, you know, so and he learned a lot of that stuff. So I said, that's why he's been, I think, very helpful when he was uh, he was helping out at Impact. He was helping out, I think he was helping out at MLW as well as wrestling too. And why he can be a producer. I don't know if there's some younger talent in WWE right now who may not be familiar with my brother if they didn't watch those couple of years he was there or something. But he's a really smart guy. Like he really knows, I think, how to put good matches together because he learned from some of the best guys in the business from before. Absolutely. And you can tell like it, like yeah. some, sometimes it's like with wrestlers that go in the ring and they, they, they work, you can, you know that they have a background, but like when yeah. they, like somebody like Davari, like Sean, when he was doing it, like you could see that he, he was picking up on stuff and he was able to convey a story a lot more like concise and like, you know, through body language and everything like that. Yeah. So very much so. Um, I was, okay. So like moving forward, it has, you have you kind of formulated a list of like maybe who you'd like to compete with later on or work with it in the ring, like moving forward after, you know, not being under the WWE banner and the, the any, not, any, not, not really like, obviously like I'm always open to work with anybody. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to just like throw random names out there willy nilly, but just from what I've seen in like new Japan and AEW and in fact, like, yeah, there's tons of talented guys who I'd want to get in the ring with. Or girls, I know we can, I can do intergender matches again now, too. Yeah. Um, I, I'd have to sit down and think about it. Like I said, I don't want to just say random names. Just shoot them out. Just, yeah, yeah. Just for, just for the sake of it. But I'd have to sit down and think about who would be some of the guys I think would mesh up with well. But to be honest, like, one one thing that I really want to put out there is just continuing the tag team with 20s. I feel like we were on – I feel like we were, like, on the cusp of greatness. You know, like, we were mm -hmm. ready to – go full bore with it and unfortunately the timing didn't work out so uh we definitely me and tony have kind of kept our eye on the tag team scene a lot more and obviously there's really good teams in every company right oh now God. so yeah so hopefully that's something that me and tony can do is kind of step into the tag team light a little bit bigger together have you guys been kind of like like brainstorming a little bit like create from a creative oh, yeah. Point yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys we're, yeah we're communicating every day and getting stuff figured out so hopefully that'll come to fruition soon hell yeah brother hell yeah um well what we also do here uh what we typically do is something called a watch list and it was more for during the pandemic like so if people were like down they were trying to figure out hey what uh, i want to watch some wrestling what exactly uh so what we ask you guys is typically uh is there a certain like set of matches that maybe that you've done that you would want hey a fan to watch or something that really stands out to you or just matches that you've watched in general that you've like hey taken notes from or just been inspired by or anything like that is there a certain like maybe like three or so matches that you could maybe give no they don't have to be my matches they don't have to be your matches. matches no they they can if you want but right. like and as like maybe something that highlights you, but also something that you're like, oh, like this, I'm just going to throw like the Great American Bash with Terry and uh, Ric Flair or somebody like that. Like, yeah, like any so, other match, like, something like that could be worth. You know, this is always a tough question because there's so many right. great matches you think of. But 
one thing I one thing that I should have thought of this beforehand, but you think of these like epic matches, you know, like uh, let's say for example, Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle from that WrestleMania 21. Yeah. And you watch those matches and you go, okay, I'm gonna, you know, pick some good stuff from that. I'm gonna go to TV on Monday and try them out. And when when you're in the WWE system a little bit, you forget that there's a lot of circumstances around these matches, whether it's time or story or what they're allowed to do versus what you're not allowed to do. Um, so sometimes you realize that, man, these like 20, 30, epic, 20, 30 minute epic matches, you ain't going to be able to replicate anything of that match yeah. in the eight minutes you have on Monday Night Raw or 205 Live. So one thing I always tell people to do, because it seems to be we're moving into this like TV only era of wrestling. I don't know how much live events are really going to be going on, maybe for the next like year or two, but I still feel like eventually it's going to go away and we're just doing TV only. Right, yeah. TV wrestling is completely different. So in the last few years, I've started when I watch old SmackDowns or old Raws or old Impacts or stuff like that. I look at these timestamps and I see, you know, there'll be two great wrestlers, whether it's like, Booker T versus Chris Jericho on Monday Night Raw in 2001. And I see the timestamps like seven minutes. And I'm like, ooh, let me see what these guys do oh. in seven minutes. So I go up because I said, there's been plenty of such times, plenty of situations where I've had six minute, seven minute matches. And that's kind of hard to do. How much selling do you do? How much of my moves do I do? How much does he move do? You have to, what kind of pace do we have? So lately, because I say we're moving to this TV era only i always tell younger wrestlers or even wrestlers today like we just got to watch more tv matches and see what they do like like i said sometimes you see like a six minute match on raw you'll kind of skip over like six minute match whatever i don't know like watch those matches see what some of the legends of our business how did they yeah. cope with only having eight minutes to do a match and you watch these matches and there's been times where I get like kind of lost and I forget. I go, damn, that match was only six minutes long. Like it did that much stuff. I, I, we always talk about the, I know it's a pay-per-view, but the Kurt Angle, Rey Mysterio match from like SummerSlam 2002. Like it's like yeah. the most epic eight minute match ever. Like they do a lot of crazy stuff in the short amount of time they have. So that's something that more wrestlers need to learn because I've, I've definitely been in the ring before where we had to cut stuff out because our time, you know, Hey, we're getting close to the end. I go, oh, damn, we planned way too much stuff. So yeah, yeah. Watch, watching more TV matches on a regular basis, I think, can kind of give you a better idea of, like, like I said, whether you're wrestling on Dynamite or whether you're wrestling on Impact or Raw or SmackDown or NXT, like, you're always going to get somewhere in that, like, six to 12-minute time frame in, like, standard matches. So know how to have a good, exciting match in a short amount of time. Yeah. No, that's an awesome point because you're right. I think... You know, obviously with the pandemic being lifted and stuff like that, like there's a there's a, a need or a want for uh, more live events. But I think you're right. Like it's going to be more focused on, you know, a television product going forward yeah. in a lot of ways. So it's like you got to adapt for those times. So that's what it feels like. And I always tell people all the time, I said the hardest, like I found some of the younger guys who are just coming to the PC or just coming to 205 I said to me the tough thing about WWE wrestling is like doing shorter matches like when I was an independent wrestler I feel like all my matches were always somewhere between 15 to 20 minutes and it was basically like you do all of your stuff I'm going to do all of my stuff <laughs> and then we'll be done you know done. You kind of, <laughs> and then you do that in 15 20 minutes but now like I said a lot of TV matches are eight minutes or 12 minutes or and I should say these are just your these are your time for the whole segment 
not including like you're like you gotta start accounting for your entrances as well too and replays at the end so sometimes you have a 12 minute segment but what it really means is like an eight minute match you know? yeah right so that's when i started like i said when i started watching more things i started just re-watching more raws and smackdowns and more television wrestling because I, I gotta see what what the, like i said the legend of what did stone cold steve austin do in seven minutes you know so i just go back and watch a lot more of that stuff. Cause like I said, over time, I learned these epic matches that I love that were 20, 30 minutes of pay-per-views and they had multiple rep bumps and blood and all this kind of stuff. I go, you can't necessarily borrow that stuff and use that for a TV match. You have to, yeah. are, it's, a, it's a special pay-per-view match for a reason. For a reason, exactly, exactly. All right, so like looking back overall, we'll close out with this. Is there what's something you really are very fond of or proud of, like just being during your whole five years in WWE? If there was something that really stood out to you, is there something a certain moment, match, whatever it may be for you? It could be on television or even just backstage or whatever. Um, I mean, here's the thing: it's not just one. There's multiple achievements. You know, uh, wrestling Tony on pay per view for the Cruiserweight title that was really awesome. Uh, actually coming to the ring with having like a Alberto Del Rio type entrance where I came out in Mercedes, the, yeah. the whole, the whole feud I did with uh, Jack Gallagher, you know, uh, one funny thing from that is I always think of, we had a contract signing for our I quit match that ended with the typical, like flipping the table and fighting and stuff like that. But something as simple as that, I was kind of thought like you have to be a world champion to get like a yeah. contract signing segment. So like anytime you got to do something like that, you know, I did, uh, a hardcore match with Tony Larkin where I got to jump off a ladder like Shawn Michaels style big splash and I just remember being like damn I gotta like do that in the WWE <laughs> you know so there's a lot of like these small little moments just throughout the career uh, that I gotta do but it's just like it's a small like fanboy things that just kind of stick out to you like in that same hardcore match like we were brawling through the crowd just like brawling through the crowd and people like yelling at you and stuff like i'm like ah like this is the shit i used to watch when i was a kid and, yeah like, right you know, like, yeah so, so, <laughs> now you get into everything. <laughs> uh you know one that just popped in my head too was getting my ass figured that was one piece oh, of yeah. i was actually really excited about like getting a t-shirt was really cool getting in the video game was really cool um but the action figure that was like a real like special one to me just because when i was a little kid i had millions of toys and Getting my like, and I got two two different gear colors too. So that was a real big one to get my action figure. I'm like, this is this that's, is really cool. that's when you know you made it. You're like, all right, I got yeah. it. This is this is what you go for, right? I know because yeah. like growing up, it's like, geez, how many wrestling figures we had, <laughs> you yeah. know? And you know what, the 205 catalog as a whole, like that first three four years, despite what people say about it, like it's gonna be one of those things that I think people are gonna look back on and say like, damn, like maybe I don't think we gave these guys enough of a chance because it was a really very talented crew of wrestlers like everybody except for a select few most of the guys who were like on that stage in that first shot had already been wrestling like 10 plus years so it was a bunch of guys who like not only could do cruiserweight style but could do like good psychology good pro wrestling all that kind of stuff you know so i think if it ever gets looked back upon you know five ten years from now people say that was that was really solid wrestling that was going on in 205 for years. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, not enough people, there wasn't enough eyes. I think what you make a great point too, because like, I think moving on, people will go back and look at that series and be like, wow, those are, that's a keystone, keystone set of series of like, not only it conveyed what that modern time of wrestling was, but like the, the 
the talent that came through that too, I think is, yeah. I think there's, it's a lot, it'll speak a lot further down the line too, I, I think too. And like, it's a crazy thing that like, it's kind of like etched in history. Like I never thought I was going to join the WWE and be a part of a show that was created just for us. Like that's nuts. Like you think yeah. you go to WWE and you go to, to Raw or SmackDown, one of the few shows, but let alone they made a show for you and they highlight this whole roster and it's this whole different division and different color ropes, like all this stuff. I was like, damn, I didn't think my, WWE career is going to go like that. That's kind of crazy. That's like a, like I said, it's a forever etched in history pro wrestling thing. Yeah. yeah. It's we got to be the, and we got to be the inaugural group. Like that's, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty wild. It's pretty awesome. To, to have that in your wrestling resume, on your wrestling resume is pretty damn sweet. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So dates September 23rd, right? Is that it? Yes. September 23rd. The 90 days is officially done. Back to work. All right, brother. Now, anything you want to plug in general or uh, get out to the fans right now or anything before? No, just follow me on social media, both my Twitter and uh, Instagram are at Arya Davari. And like I said, I do plan on starting a Twitch stream soon where I want to uh, kind of tell my whole WWE story, you know, little by little, episode by episode. So that's about it. But I just want to say, hey, thanks for doing this interview with me, all the fans who been supporting me in 205 Live. I just want to say thank you for that. Please continue to support and uh, keep watching. You'll be seeing me very soon. Heck yeah. Thank you, Ari. And thank you guys for tuning in. My name is Dominic. You can follow me on Twitter at Dominic D'Angelo. You can follow WrestleZone on Twitter at WrestleZone.com. And go to WrestleZone.com for all your wrestling news needs. All right. Thanks, Aria. Thanks, guys. Take care.